votes are in. Well, most of them, anyway, as we record this podcast, we're still waiting for someone to call the election and name the 46th president of the United States. Usually, we would know the results by now, but we're still waiting on millions of votes to be counted, adding to the drama of this unusual 2020 political season. But because it's been such a stressful election, we step away from the tense political debates and into the world of comedy. Jared Logan's a humorist who's been on Comedy Central, several late night shows, True TV's World's Dumbest, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, and he's performed stand-up on stages all across the world. He's just a flat-out funny dude. And Logan is a Morgantown native, so of course we discuss how he went from growing up on a farm in West Virginia to working with some of the top entertainers in the world. We also talk about why comedy and politics go hand in hand, and then eventually we dive into some of his most memorable stories. Yeah, this one's well worth the listen, so without further ado, let's get to it and bring on the talented Jared Logan. Mace, hit the music. does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, everybody. Pretty normal day, everybody, right? Coffee in hand, nothing going <laughs> Nobody really worried about anything. The balance of Western civilization. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But seriously, I've uh, no idea who's going to be the president of the United States as we record this. Uh, certainly a lot's going on. It would be pretty crazy. Cooper and I were talking before if, it, if uh, they announced who wins this thing as we go through. That would be um, some good social media gold for us at least. But uh, Jared, for you as a comedian, you know, is this the kind of stuff that's like gold? You know, do you love political material or is this kind of low-hanging fruit? It's just easy to pluck from or, or do you like stuff like this crazy years? Well, Patton Oswalt, one of my favorite comedians, had the funniest uh, bit about Trump, <clears throat> which is that it's impossible to really do really good material about him because um, it's like you see, you know, it's like you're watching him and he's in the middle of the street and he's like picking a booger and eating it. And you turn back to your friends to go, look at him picking a booger and eating it. And he's already like wearing a, wearing a sombrero and shitting into it. Like by the time you get to the booger story, he's moved on to the shitting in a sombrero story. I butchered Patton Oswalt's bit. I am not Patton Oswalt, but I think that Trump is actually quite bad for comedy because his sort of shock and awe approach to governing, in quotes, uh, you know, makes it really impossible to to mock him. He is his own parody. So, uh, it's well, true, I've, man. I've come it's out like, it... guns blazing on my side of the uh, political spectrum. I am. A, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I just wanted to say, like, I, I am kind of an independent voter, and I don't think that one party is necessarily better than the other, but I do have strong feelings about Trump, obviously. Yeah, man, no, it's uh, it, it's true, true, true. I mean, I think it's, I don't know, and I don't want to give him credit to be smart enough that he does that as a strategy, like, uh, to be in a constant wave of chaos, because it's then, like, it's hard to be like, wait a second, you just commit, you committed three crimes an hour ago, like, and now we're already onto this, so it's like, 
I, I can see what you're saying where it's hard to like land a comedic thing about it because it's like, well, that was like, we already kind of laughed about that. Now it's like, we're looking at this. Yeah. Um, that's, that's interesting, man. Well, and you know, I, I think that if you're going to approach it, you got to approach it from a kind of a personal level or you got to be really honest about how you feel about it. So I, you know, I just recorded a half hour for epics and um, when I recorded it, everybody was socially distanced, of course, but um, I did a, I did a Trump joke or two. And my Trump joke was just that like, what I hate about him the most is that he makes me care about stuff I never knew about <laughs> or gave a shit about. So like he uh, was in an interview and they were like, do you think you'll get a second term? And he was like, I think I should get a third term or a fourth term. And then suddenly I cared about term limits, <laughs> something I've never known anything about. I was there, guys, term limits are the foundation of a democracy. All of a sudden I felt that way and I've never studied them. I know nothing about it. So um, that's what I hate. Right. That he makes me Google things all day. Is that, is that kind of why you think comedians and, and you, you look at Saturday Night Live, is that why they've taken such a liking to making fun of Trump because it does get people riled up for, for whatever it is that he does, but it just gets people energized and, and, and it's easy to laugh about. Um, I think that uh, definitely Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night Live has one of the most brilliant casts of talented young comedians and writers. I mean, they really are an incredible um, nexus of genius talent. And then they use it to do the most boring, low-hanging fruit political <laughs> yeah. material imaginable. And I think that uh, that's too bad. But I, they're really just kind of doing what they always have done. But that formula doesn't really work anymore, right? Like, this is a different situation now. So I think it's unfortunate because they have such brilliant performers. And then they bring in, like, Jim Carrey to do Biden. Uh, any one of their people, including Kate McKinnon, could have done Biden and done it better, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. so I think it's too bad that they do this sort of kind of I think softball sort of you know toothless clawless uh, political stuff because um, they definitely have the talent to make a difference and say something interesting mm -hmm. does, it, does it feel now too it's like maybe it's harder for comedians to kind of be themselves maybe everybody's talking about politics and trump in particular is it hard to different harder to differentiate yourself as a comedian now i think that um i think that huh that's an interesting question is it harder to differentiate yourself absolutely uh and also no right <laughs> good, um, good answer good answer <laughs> well because there are so many people with a voice now right and they're all out there uh, making it heard. Um, mm -hmm. and just speaking from the perspective of a straight white guy, definitely plenty of us out there peddling our, our comedy. So in, in that way, it is harder. But in another way, it's not, it's not as hard because I, I think it should, if it, it should push you toward more originality and, for, and doing things that, are really on, that only you really could do. And that's what a comedian should do anyway. Um, and yeah. so in the pandemic, I've found myself kind of figuring out new routes of, um, entertaining. Um, I have a streaming channel now on Twitch. I'm, I'm 40 years old. This is the year that 40 year olds learn to stream. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, and and I learned how to do that, and it's given me a lot of joy. And it's not really doing jokes, you know. It's I'm running like tabletop role playing games for my funny friends. A little five E, I see. Uh, I did a little five E recently. We do a lot of <laughs> I, you know, my passion is horror movies and horror stories, so I Ooh. run a lot of like horror games. But like that's a very different way to perform, and that's like really made me happy, and it's given me a project. And also my writing. I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and brag. My writing has gotten so much better in terms of writing scripts and things like that because I've had the time uh, during the pandemic so, and, and during Trump, really, really to say like, uh, okay, I, I it's not time for another straight white guy to be screaming at everybody. Like it's just not going to play commercially. So I'm going to figure out how to cultivate my, my script writing ability and things like that. Yeah, Jared, and sorry, guys, if I like cut you guys off, it's maybe a little bit of a delay, uh, delay here. But how is like you brought up a good point, And I've always like wondered that with social media, is it like easier to be a comedian or like like you said, more people have like, like I could do a funny tweet or a meme. That doesn't mean I'm a professional comedian. But if I could consistently do that, that almost like gets traction. And like how is it like harder to be funny like in the maybe the traditional sense of like comedian like you do a skit you have like or like a bit or whatever but now it's like like you said like you have to almost like learn okay these are the tools of the trade now like i got to be like quick on twitter i got to be able to do like comedy yeah yeah like like a zoom comedy event might be kind of difficult because the context isn't there you can't really feel a crowd you're kind of delivering it like and like what if there's a delay then it's really not funny like how is that just like everyone's just kind of getting used to it and reinventing themselves Absolutely. Trying to do stand up the way you have before on a Zoom call is like trying to ride, you know, race the Kentucky Derby on like the back of a dog or something. It's just not quite designed for that. Right. So like um, so I do think that comedy is changing. I do think that it's taken too many of us too long to get on board with that. And I think that you know, right now I'm planning, I'm writing a, just a, a Zoom special that uses the format of Zoom rather than trying to like force it to be a live show, you know, in like a venue. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, I also want to say like, I think it, there, there was a time earlier on where I was a little snobby about people who create memes or do song parody YouTube videos or prank YouTube videos, you know. And of course, there's a ton of mediocrity in that stuff. But there's also a ton of genius people doing that kind of stuff. Really funny people who are doing that stuff and who aren't even getting the traction they deserve. There are brilliant, brilliant like sketch performers on YouTube who, you know, still haven't gotten their full due. And I think in the coming years, they are going to kind of replace your louis ck's or your uh i don't know who's big chris D'Elia's or uh any of these like big like kind of like venue comedians live comedians in, in some right. ways i think they're going to yeah no i mean that's, that's that's interesting um yeah i mean what now when you grew up to tie it back to west virginia you know our audience is this podcast is like connecting right. folks from west virginia did you like was that like were you like a theater kid you're like i'm gonna be in performance i'm gonna be like creative and artist or how did you in west virginia was that something that you kind of did or how like walk us through how this transitioned to you living in la and now you're on a podcast with two west virginians 
Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I, I, I was uh, raised in Cassville, uh, which is outside of Morgantown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, my mom and dad raised me near my grandpa's farm, uh, which was a real farm with horses and cows and chickens and all the, all of that stuff. And um, all, my entire family on my mom's side lived on that same dirt road near that farm. Um, and it was an amazing childhood because, you know, he owned uh, this land. You could go out and walk in the woods and get into trouble and, and you know, there was an old graveyard from like the early 1900s, 1800s out on that land. I mean, it was like truly like this kind of mind blowing sort of place to kind of grow up. But whenever I was in school, I was so unhappy um, because I feel like, uh, I don't know that, you know, there, there is a, a culture in West Virginia that is intolerant and it was intolerant to me even when I was 10 years old. In like the fifth grade. And uh, I don't know. I just channeled it all into creativity. I mean, and I didn't know it was going to be performance for a long time. You know, I, I would write stories. I'd draw. Um, I would do anything I could that was creative to kind of try to express myself. And my dad also gave me this deep and abiding love of like horror movies and sci-fi novels and all that good geeky stuff that kind of came into its own a little later. So that also fueled my creativity a lot. And I guess around 14, I found performing really for the first time, which I went to the Monongalia Arts Center there in Morgantown. And I had great teachers. I had a good buddy whose mother worked there as sort of, I think she was, you know, not paid very much, but she was there every day, like helping kids do art projects and and they would do plays there. They had a little auditorium, a little black box theater. And that's when I kind of started getting into it. And um, I never looked back. I think from that point on, I knew that, I, that that's what I wanted to do. So I went to college in Memphis, Tennessee for theater. And I was in a bunch of plays. Uh, but even then, like I had like a sketch group in college with my friends we were so inspired by like mr show and snl and uh Mm -hmm. uh what else oh the state was huge for me the state on mtv uh and and now i've gotten to work with you know those guys like michael showalter and people like that it's really freaky when you have these heroes when you're 15 16 and then later you're just like sitting beside (laughs) them on a movie set like suggesting jokes to them um it can be quite intimidating or kind of you know brain melting yeah Um, but um you gotta like enjoy it but after college you know because i always knew i wanted to just do i wanted to do be funny i wanted to do comedy so i moved to chicago Mm -hmm. and while i was in chicago i got to do stand-up comedy with people like kuman nanjiani who's still my very close friend um, Pete Holmes, Hannibal Burris, Kyle Kinane. Wow. wow, wow. All of these guys were kind of there and working That's at the time. awesome. Yeah. Right. And so, and in Chicago, there was no industry. Later when I moved to New York and LA, a lot of people try to do an act that will get them famous or get them hired, get them money, <clears throat> get them on TV. But in Chicago, there was no anticipation that any of that would happen. Nobody was coming to see us. So literally the reason all these guys got so good is they were literally trying to out-creative the other guy. They were trying to 
out original, the other guy. Um, and so that ended up being a really good laboratory for people to get really original and sort of hone a voice and get and, and become something unique. And I think it proves that by how many huge names came out of there. <clears throat> Excuse me. I don't know. I'm, I think I have full-blown COVID this morning. <clears throat> Um, so uh, that's the end of my answer, I guess. Did I take you on the entire journey? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll kind of, we can kind of, yeah, pick apart through that. And because and, we talked a little bit about kind of finding your niche, com comedians finding their own. Did you find that you being from West Virginia helped you? Because I know in, in some of your standups, you've done jokes about West Virginia growing up. Everybody in your class wanted to be a basketball player, but we're all, you know, short white dudes. But did you find that that was part of your role that you were kind of the guy that you came from a, a, a funny background compared to a lot of the other comedians and, and you played you know that was part of your 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 stand-up that was part of you yeah you're talking about like uh uh yeah the joke where i'm like everybody in my fifth grade class was like i want to be a basketball <laughs> player and i was like tyler your family only eats pop tarts that's not <laughs> How are you going to have the nutrition you need to build the muscle tone? That's um, funny. Uh, I, I think that being from West Virginia, and it took me too long to realize it, was uh, essential to any success that I've had as a stand-up comedian because it is what uh, gave me that uniqueness, you know, um, over other yelling white dudes. Mm-hmm. Nothing against white dudes, of course, gentlemen. It's just that <laughs> there are a lot of them in stand-up, right? A lot of yelling ones. Um, so, uh, so in order to kind of set yourself apart from the crowd, you know, uh, I needed, and I didn't realize it, but you need to talk about the thing that only, it's like I was saying earlier, it's, you got to talk about the thing that only you can talk about. Right. And in the Chicago or New York stand-up scene, that was West Virginia for me. And, um, and I found as I started to dig into that, that all of that hurt that I felt growing up, anger, confusion, all of that stuff was incredible fuel for stand-up comedy. And, uh, you know, another thing about a joke is, you know, it's got to be funny. It's got to make people laugh. But I tend to only like comedians where you can tell that they also, there is a feeling behind the thing, the joke that they're telling. Like they actually have an emotion behind it or, or a, you know, they really feel it. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a lot out there, some who are famous, who I think do not care really that much about what they're saying. They're just doing the joke math to make, make it funny. But, um, but I, I felt that I was only funny when I, I was only truly, truly funny. I can put together some words that'll make a chuckle, but I was only truly like, you know, double over funny when I talked about that kind of stuff, that kind of West Virginia stuff. What's up guys, Cooper here. Hopefully you're enjoying the much needed comedic relief in a world that's uh, basically gone to hell. But Jared's a cool guy. It's uh, the conversation is just, it keeps getting funnier and uh, we really, really enjoyed this one. But look, you knew I was gonna ask you for this favor. Can you give us a rating? Can you give us a review? It simply helps more West Virginians see the podcast. Or maybe even you give us a shout out on your social media, on your story, on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, wherever the heck you want to. That helps more people see us and allows us to interview more West Virginians. And maybe we can do some more cool stuff with the podcast. So Mace, let's get the listeners right back into the episode.
Because it was authentic too. Like it, like it yeah. was, uh, yeah. and almost a feeling like, I don't know about you, like I have a feeling sometimes like I'll make West Virginia jokes and like people listen to this will definitely like, we know the stuff about the state that's like, you just got to laugh at. But also if someone else does it, it's like, well, hold on now. Like, don't talk about my state like that. Yeah, like, yeah. only I'm know, allowed like, to make fun of me. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like, sure. I wear it on my chest. I'm proud of West Virginia. And there are things that I laugh at, but at the same time, like, does it get, has anyone ever kind of looked at you as maybe in a not so serious way, or maybe they're like, Oh, like you're from West Virginia. Like, come on, like these guys are out here in LA and big cities. Like this is the big leagues. Have you ever, have you that, has that ever happened to you at all? Um, uh, people looking down on me about being from West Virginia. Um, I don't know. I, you know, what I would say is like, I, I used to do a joke about how, when I would tell people that my father works at Walmart, he works at Walmart in West Virginia. Um, still, um, I would, when I would tell them that joke, uh, or that joke went like, you know, I would tell people that I worked at Walmart who lived in LA or New York and they'd be like, <laughs> what's that like? And, uh, you know, <laughs> I just said, you know, it's how insulted I was, you know, yeah. like there is elitism. Right. And, uh, and that's fodder for humor too. So, um, but like, you know, being from West Virginia didn't garner so much, um, snobbery as mentioning that my father worked at walmart or i'm trying to think if there was anything else you know the, the real problem wasn't that people were snobby towards me because i gotta be honest with you like people in la and new york are quite quite accepting of people from all over mm -hmm. they really really are um and there are comedians who have much more conservative views than i do who do very well in LA and New York comedy scenes, as long as they're funny. Right. So the issue was never people ever looking down on me because I was from West Virginia. And even that like Walmart comment was because people didn't know any better. They, they, you know, they came right. from some place where there were no Walmarts because there are yeah. places like that. And so that they thought it was like, what Walmart, what? That's so surprising to them. But the real issue coming from West Virginia was that I found that, and, and I want to say this very, as fairly as I can, there, I found myself a little bit saddled with this idea that I wasn't as good inside me, that I wasn't as good, that I didn't know how to play in the big leagues with these, you know, like you mm -hmm. say, big leaguers, because I'm just from some small podunk area and I, well, I'm just a humble boy from the farm, <laughs> from the dirt you road. know, down <laughs> yeah. And these are, these are, um, toxic ideas. I think, you know, it's good to be modest. It's good to, it's good to have a realistic, um, idea of your limits, but also you have to be ambitious and you have to say, I'm good enough. And I'm, and, 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 and it doesn't matter where I'm from or what, you know, what my background is, I can do whatever these guys can do because you can, you, you really can. So um, it's been a really tough battle, you know, learning that about myself and, and not internalizing lessons. And I don't want to put it all on the state. Definitely my parents and teachers and people uh, also kind of put that inside my head, you know, um, it's insidious. It's insidious because I didn't think that I felt that way, but deep down I did, you know. Yeah. When you do get a chance to look back though, do you, do you think like from humble beginnings to Comedy Central to stages all over to LA, do you get it? I mean, obviously you, you can't be satisfied. You're, you're still going strong, but do you get to sit back and think like, 
I was, I was a guy that people can, I'm a guy that people can look into and think, you know, he, he, it, like all of those qualities, you got to be confident about yourself. He took that, even though he, he grew up on a farm and he, he still was on Comedy Central and, and lives in California. CJ, I wish that I could feel that way. <laughs> I'm a comedian, so I'm a depressive fuck. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. Um, that's what my therapist tells me every week. Look at what you've done. Look at how well you're doing. Um, but I always, you know, I think about my mom, who's like a quintessential West Virginia lady. And like, my mom would like work as a nurse and save lives all day. And then when you would talk to her later, you, you, I'd be on the phone with her. I'd be like, hey, mom, what's up? I just bought some new shoes. Now I'm going to Chipotle. And my mom would be like, you know, uh, well, we had a baby die on us today. Oh. <laughs> Just watched it's the light leave its eyes. It was just, you know, it was born with its trachea on the outside of its throat. So, like, that's, like, her point of view is just doom and gloom. And it got in, gentlemen. It got in there really, really deep. So, um, yeah, I just need you to call me once a week and let me know how much I've accomplished. Sort of yeah, you don't need a therapist. Just hop on the podcast. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah, bring exactly. you on. Yeah, we, we trapped you into – this is actually your therapist. We didn't tell you. We trapped you into <laughs> yeah. your therapist. But this is exactly what I was um, talking about in the last answer is this, you know, um, and, and I do think it has something to do with West Virginia. And I think that – I think – I hope your listeners don't think I'm being judgmental because it's me I'm talking about. You internalize this sort of doom and gloom. Like, you know what I mean? Like this, uh, this sort of like not being boastful, not being proud of yourself in some ways. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just me. I, I don't want to speak for everyone. It, it does feel like West Virginia's got that attitude, almost like what they, you know, the, the stereotype of growing up in Ireland or something. Bottle all the emotions up and, until you die. Yes. Well, even like, even in business, guys, like, I mean, I'm like, I'm from Charleston, West Virginia. You know, I went to WU. Um, I moved over to DC. I'm a financial advisor. And like, you know, I've been fortunate to get in rooms where there's people that have gone to like fancy schools. And I've had to like catch myself feeling like, like, should I be here? Like, wait a second, I've earned this. I know my shit. Like, I know my stuff with financial advising. Like, I definitely should be here. But there's also like, wait a second. I don't know. Like, like you were saying, it's almost like I don't want to convince myself that I shouldn't or that it's weird that I'm at the table with high quality people because I'm absolutely not. You shouldn't. Yeah. yeah, You shouldn't have to do that. And, and what I would say is like, I think everybody goes through that. Right. But certain people are cultured to be like, you know, Hey, you grew up in New Jersey, you're cultured to be like, I belong here when you do not belong there. (laughs) Uh, And then if you're from West Virginia, you're cultured to be like, I am but a humble laborer. Uh, <laughs> can I get coffee for everyone? Uh, Need me to mow yeah. your grass? <laughs> no, you're exactly you're spot on. I mean, yeah. you're you're exactly right. It's yeah. exactly right. So, what's your what's your future plan, man? You, you've been around a few. I mean, you've been on some big shows. Like, what's like you said, you're doing your own. Like, I don't want to like leak a special project you're doing, but like, what's uh, what's the next couple of years look like? Do you think it's a permanent shift in the industry? Or are you really kind of, it's like a moment where you like, wait a second, I, I got to almost like redo my whole track or is it just kind of like on the fly adjusting? You know, I, I, um, I am going to give myself credit. So a couple of years ago, I was writing in late night um, mm-hmm. uh, while I also, you know, worked my stand up when, it, uh, you know, you get a lot of time off, you know, you'll notice those shows are always in reruns. Um, like, uh, and 
uh, I wasn't happy in late night. You know, I, I really like, I, I'm starting now at age 40 to put together all those parts of me. You know, I told you I like to draw and I like to write stories and I like to perform like, so all of that's kind of coming together. And one way it comes together is, you know, everybody tells you, you can't move from being a joke writer on late night to writing scripted television. Well, that's not true. I did that. I, I moved over and uh, I, I actually worked on a Disney Channel sitcom all year and it was the most fun I've ever had in my life because instead of being in a room with a, a lot of really, a lot of pressure, right? There was a lot of pressure to, and you were constantly inundated with news. Like you got to write about the news all day long. Instead, I was just able to imagine, you know, in kind of a fun kind of I mean, it felt like low pressure way, like uh, adventures for these kids to go on and like jokes that they could make. And uh, that was, that was enormous for me. Just what, what, like the first time I didn't put a bunch of pressure on myself in a job. Um, I've also been like punching up films. Um, in 2019, I punched up uh, the Lovebirds on Netflix. I also worked on a movie called Coffee and Kareem. I was in Vancouver for uh, two months. And um, that's a really fun job, like to see how movies are made. Like, and, and I got to sit right by the director, you know, and like kind of chat with him about how to make it funnier. So uh, it, it's, these are things that where it feels like a lot of the different parts of me are starting to come together. And I do think that like this role-playing stream I mentioned, you know, mm -hmm. you can look at it as a hobby, but in fact, like I have to write a script. I have to be funny while I'm doing it. Um, there's visual elements. There's, you know, all of these different parts of me come together to do it in a way that's really kind of challenging and engaging. And uh, I think sky's the limit on that kind of stuff. I think that if, if, you, um, if you have any kind of creative project, no matter where you are, it doesn't matter anymore. Put it out there. Get it online because... Mm -hmm. You get better and better and better if you do it every week and people will respond and they'll respond in a, we have the nicest fans. I my thing is called stream of blood is what it's called. Mm -hmm. So we have the nicest fans and they like, uh, they respond to it and we get better and better every week that we do it. And we've put out like something like 200 hours of content on YouTube wow. now. So, um, wow. And, 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 it, and it's, it's made everything easier. Like I'm, I'm also kind of working on a, uh, a script rewrite for some people right now of, of a film. And uh, yeah, I find that that's really kind of engaging and fun, you know, in, in a different way. So um, yeah, I, but I, in terms of what is the future guys, I don't think anybody knows right now. <laughs> Got <no. laughs> yeah. Good Lord. I, yeah. all I know is I need a project to, and then I'm happy. Yeah. Right. If I sit around worrying, I just go nuts. And I, I, we've talked about this. I'm sure our listeners have heard the story, but you know, this pandemic has given way for people to start new creative ideas. And instead of sitting on your, sitting on your ass all day, get up and go do something and turning Absolutely. it into something positive. That's how this started. That's how your Twitch stream started. So there, there is a lot of good that's, that's come from these last few months of, it's forced everybody to kind of sit back and think about and kind of reflect on everything. And clearly the, you know, moving forward, the plan forward is just to keep doing what you're doing, I guess. That's right. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's tragic that um, so many people have passed. Um, it's tragic that so many people have gotten sick. 
Uh, but you have to look for the silver lining. And for a lot of people, I think it's like, I mean, people probably like walked outside more, you know, like yeah. that alone, yeah, right. that alone, like, you know, kind of uh, increasing your awareness uh, of the world around you and the people around you and your relationships. I think that the pandemic, for those of us who were just locked inside and were very fortunate to not have sickness, I think for a lot of us, it was a kind of reflective moment. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would encourage yeah, people to not let go of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's almost like a, for, like you were saying, like a forced, I mean, you could say this, like our podcast is born out of that, like a time where it felt good to be creating something. And we were like, this is not our actual day job, but just putting our energy and effort into like goodness and like just getting at like expressing something was really like therapeutic and enjoyable i think every industry and every like you said everyone's kind of almost gone through a personal like journey of like all right what's mm -hmm. how am i gonna like mm -hmm. let me explore something deeper with like what i want to do in my work and my life um so hopefully yeah i mean like you said man if you're not directly affected by it it could be you know a net positive for your life i think in a lot of ways yeah. And then, you know, a lot of people just spent uh, hours and hours scrolling the internet and got into QAnon. And that's another way to go. You know? that's, that's their journey. That's their journey. Um, oh, shit. That's funny. Um, well, it, it, let's kind of get back to you a little bit. You, you've done some cool things. We've talked about you know, some of the specials you've done. You were on World's Dumbest today. That's still one of my favorite shows. I love World's Dumbest. That is like, uh, that is, I mean, that was like when. It, it felt like that was the best show before like all these social media funny video shows started. So I loved, I loved world's dumbest, but you know, what are some of the coolest things that you remember some of the great people that you've met and maybe inspired you a little bit? Absolutely. Um, well, let's see. I, well, first of all, I'll talk about world's dumbest, which was the greatest job in the world for a guy who is just sort of coming into his own as a comedian in New York city and what, what years was that? Maybe like 2012, 2011 is when I was doing a lot of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, oh, holy shit, eight or nine years ago. But um, uh, the thing that was nice about it was I went in a couple times a week. They gave you a check right there. Like, uh, and all Perfect. I had to do was write as many jokes as I could on, they would send me all the videos. They would send me all the videos sometimes the night before. And I would stay up till 2 AM writing jokes on all of them. Um, which is very, I enjoy that. That makes me feel good. Then you go in and you just like make up, make, try to make the sound guy laugh, try to make the camera guy laugh, talking into the camera. It takes two hours of your time. They hand you a check and you walk out and you got your whole day ahead of you. And you're making a living I, between yeah. that and I was on best yeah. week ever. And on weekends I was traveling. So between all that, I was making a living, you know, uh, and I lived in New York city and what a, what an incredible experience, you know, to just walk out into the sunshine on a spring day after doing world's dumbest and be like, fuck it. I think I'm going to go see a movie. You know, like, uh, life was good. It's <laughs> two, two in the afternoon, you know? Um, yeah. So, and, uh, World's Dumbest also played nonstop on repeat on that channel. Um, TLC. I think it still does. Yeah. True, yeah. true TV, TLC. Yeah. And so uh, people would see me and know me and say hello to me. Uh, um, not in New York that much, but when I was out traveling. When I was out traveling in the rest of the country, people really responded to that show. Um, 
the thing that sometimes was painful about World's Dumbest, and I can say it now, uh, that it's defunct, um, was yeah. that there were different producers. So some producers were really brilliant and funny comedians in their own right, like uh, Brendan Walsh was a producer. And when you, would, when you would do stuff with him, he would just let you go off and do your own riffs and stuff. But other producers would be like, <clears throat> okay, today we're going to dress you up in a bee costume. And can you say, buzz, 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 this is a buzzing good time. And I'd be like, I had to learn to go, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> that sounds lame. I don't like that. That sounds stupid and shitty. So I'm not going <laughs> to say that. Um, but I mean, in terms of like career high points, that's really tough. It's like, to me, like the, uh, to me, the, the high points are not the high points you'd think. I mean, like, I performed at Bonnaroo in, in front of a thousand people in a tent, you know, and, and I got VIP passes to Bonnaroo where they would take me to the front of every show and I could watch Paul McCartney or Tom Petty or whatever, like, you know, in throwing distance. Um, uh, sorry, they're paving my street. I hope you can't hear this rumbling that's just going by. The train just went through, so. I, I know. They're <laughs> paving my street. What timing? Um but that's like that that was great. But that's not like the high point to me. Like the high point to me is like I remember the first time I had been so poor for like and now I hear my wife yelling at my 18-month-old daughter. <laughs> um I remember the first time I got like a, a a gig that paid really well that I had to fly to in uh, Arizona. I had to go to Arizona State University and perform. And I remember like getting the rental car and I'm like 20, I'm pretty old at this point. Like, I mean, I'd done a lot of like pay gigs when I was 25, but they were like, you were a feature in a comedy club. They'd give you like $300 and say, good night. Um, but yeah. this was like, this was like, I was making a couple thousand bucks or something and I had flown there all, you know, and, and I, and I was, and I was renting a car and I drove out onto the highway in Arizona and I was just like, this is it, you know, I'm on my way, you know, that's like a weirdly a high point for me. Um, then I went and bombed at the school horribly. Uh, so <laughs> not, usually, yeah, it's okay. not funny at all. And they <laughs> hated me, but that was a high point before that happened. Um, another thing I remember is I was on, um, John Oliver had a stand-up show on Comedy yeah. Central. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, uh, the, I had done Comedy Central's live at Gotham in like 2008, mm -hmm. but a couple years later, but then after that, it, it had been a hard going for me. I wasn't, wasn't making a lot of money in New York. I, I had to have a day temp job. I, I, New York's a tough city, you know, it's like cold and dirty and your apartment sucks. But then I got this John Oliver TV spot and, um, and I knew I was ready. Like I knew I was really funny. Like the mm -hmm. act I was taking up was like so amazingly funny. That sounds like I'm, I'm tooting my own horn and I am, I just felt ready. And so I got, I was in the wings to go on in front of the cameras in front of this huge audience and I remember like just being kind of calm and thinking, this is what you did. You went through all of that for so you could do this. Yeah. And that yeah. helped me later when I was doing bigger shows or doing my half hours, like to go like, you know, the hard part is getting the thing. The hard right. part is getting them to say, okay, we pick you. That's very hard. It's almost impossible. Like for, for most people, like to get picked to be in one of these rosters. But once you got it, 
oh, it's all butter. It doesn't yeah. matter. It doesn't You're matter how it goes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I crushed, but I saw people bomb, and then later they just put laughs in. But I crushed, guys. I was really, I was really good. Review the tape on that one. <laughs> but that's a high point for me, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and in terms of being, you know, what stars I I got to work with or whatever. I mean, like I already knew them, like like because yeah. yeah. like my favorite comedians were always uh, the guys I started with: Pete Holmes, Kumail, yeah. Yeah. you know, Hannibal, like Kyle Kinane, like, and so. Um, very lucky to know those guys and to kind of be near them while they were doing what they do because yeah. if anything rubbed off it's it's what is good about my material and my act. Jared, do do comedians know like is there more like guys that are just girls that are just like naturally kind of just like they just feel like they wake up out of the bed they just have yeah. it versus yeah. people that are like hardcore like preppers like you can tell yeah. they're kind of like repeated in the mirror they're practicing like is there can you guys spot each other, like the two differences and which and what, one maybe is like yeah. better or like and what advice kind of tagging on that what advice would you give to somebody that maybe is trying to be a comedian yeah um okay well in terms of like personal style with comedians it you know it's a it's a infinite variety of types of comics right mm -hmm. um i would say um there are guys who can be kind of naturally uh genius at it like they are mm -hmm. naturally funny usually because they have suffered some sort of deep trauma in their life uh <laughs> to be frank um uh but that's okay uh so, uh <laughs> Uh, it made them really funny, right? But like, you can be a genius. You can be one of the most hilarious person I've ever met, but you have to put the other side of the equation into it. And then there are people who are, like you might've said, like very prepped, right? But it's more right. than that. It's like having all of your, having all of your ducks in a row. And this is what I was always very bad at, gentlemen, uh, is like, you know, back in the day, it was a website, you know, like having a website, like, having a place people can find you market learning to market yourself all of these business things that i you know when i was younger was like ugh, ugh, why would i why would i lower myself to yeah. letting people know they yeah. can hire me that is not art um, right. <laughs> uh, and what an idiot i was um, i mean it yeah. turned out fine but i think that it's very important for people to respect the guy that's that's highly prepped to respect the guy who is advertising himself who's hustling and is maybe working harder at it to be funny but has found the other side of that equation and i think that you don't get a great comedian until both sides come together yeah i i, I really don't i mean some people get incredibly talented managers to help them and that is where like a rep a rep can really make a difference you know like you know sometimes people go what do agents and managers even do well a manager that's good takes that takes that genius who doesn't quite have the stuff have have his shit together yet and helps him get his shit together or takes the person who has their shit together and and shows them helps them develop creatively yeah um yeah and in terms of do i have advice i always tell people that you really have to move to New York or LA um, or some kind of city that has a palpable stand-up scene. So, mm -hmm. you know, there have been great scenes that came recently out of Atlanta. It's incredible comedians came out of Atlanta recently. 
Uh, Atlanta is at a beautiful spot. Uh, peak hipster is what I call it, where there's mm-hmm. just all these young, hip, tattooed people who want to see someone spout crazy ideas on stage, you know, um, in Atlanta. And I love visiting there and performing there because I got to meet all these young, cool people like, uh, was that like, uh, Caleb Sinan is really funny. And if you're a West Virginian, you'll really love him because he talks about having, uh, you know, kind of a country upbringing, a Georgia upbringing. Um, So I always say move to a city. Maybe you move to a smaller one like Atlanta first to kind of get good. Uh, And uh, when when you're crushing all the time in Atlanta, don't, or, or, or Portland or I don't know, Austin, as soon as you're crushing all the time, you're killing, you got to go. It's time to go. I spent five years in Chicago. I should have spent less. I should have spent <laughs> less. Um, but it was nice to feel like you were the, you know, king dick of uh, <laughs> a, a smaller pond. King fish. Why did I make it a dick? Uh, <laughs> a, fi- a fish with a dick? Um, so, 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 like, you know, you got to go to New York or L.A. and that's when things get hard. That's where all the comics are and they're competitive. Um, And then I would add a new thing now. I would add a new thing other than just move to a big city, which is it's not enough to just be hilarious on stage. You know, you got to figure out what is your digital thing you're doing. You got, you got to put content out there for people to find. And most comedians know this, but it, some of us, it takes us a little time to figure it out. Like what is the content you're putting online for people to find hopefully every week, at least mm-hmm. right. that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, thank you. You spent 45 minutes. Where can awesome. people find you? Are you on, are you on Let's Twitter? Talk Instagram? Longer. Do I have to go? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't want to go back out there. Um, yeah. Um, I, you can find me at, on Twitter at Jared Logan. Um, you can, uh, there's a, there's a YouTube channel I mentioned. If you are in any way into dork things or horror things or watching comedians play games, please check out my streaming channel, Stream of Blood. And we're on all of the stuff. Cool. Discord, Twitter, yeah. you know, all of it. Um, and Epics. I, I have a new half hour coming out on Epics. So if that's on your little Apple TV uh, menu somewhere, uh, find <clears throat> it's called Unprotected Sets is the name of the series <laughs> i like it so uh, check that out and there's a lot of other funny comics on that series I, I would encourage you to go and watch them um especially if you've been burnt by some netflix comedy specials come yeah. over to this other thing and check that out cool awesome well jared man thank you hey thank you guys what a pleasure this was great yeah this was thank you man hey everyone well if you made it this far that must mean you enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you get a good laugh or two out of that one. Cooper and I certainly had our fair share of cracks with Jared. He's a hell of a funny guy. And hey, Jared, we wish you the best of luck. And you are more than welcome to come on the podcast anytime you want. And hopefully everyone that's listening to this right now enjoyed it as much as Cooper and I did getting to know you and hearing some of your stories. As always, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And make sure to stick with us. We'll be back next week here on the Mountaineer Media Podcast.